Hello and welcome to Full Contact Nerd, where we talk about fiction and storytelling in all its forms. From the weird to the fantastic, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, mysteries, anything you can ask for, we have it. I'm Chris Alvarez and thank you for listening. I'm speaking to Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product from Concept to Script, a practical guide for the screenwriter published April 25th, 2014. And now this will be something different for the podcast. Um, we'll be sort of a how-to um, series of episodes on um, writing, on screenwriting. So thank you, Brian, for, for speaking with me. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. All right. So so the book starts uh, with the chapter, Why Write for Film? So um, yes. let's start with that topic. You know, one of the things that happens a lot of times is you meet people and everybody has a story they want to tell. Um, I don't think I've ever met anybody who, you know, didn't have something that either an experience they had or or something in their imagination that they wanted to get out. And um, you have to kind of decide whether film is the right medium, because a lot of people have ideas of, you know, very intimate, very internal stories of, you know, angst and conflict that it has to do with their lives and, and what they think and what they feel, that's probably best served in a novel or in a, in a biography mm. and not necessarily in a film. A film is a very visual medium. And if you have a story that's very heavy on dialogue and doesn't have a lot of movement, that's probably better for the stage. So one of the things that when I'm first talking to people about their ideas and, and what they want to write about is where do you want this to live? And if they're not looking at something that is uh, really externally illustratable, if that's a word, hmm. um, then I, I encourage them to look at other medium because you want something that is visual, that's active, but still has true character that can be revealed through words on, on paper. Hmm. And that the one thing about a screenplay is it is a, and I'm sure this is an old cliche for writers, but it's a blueprint for the film. So you have to have something that is not only, um, you know, a great story, but it has to be a great story that has elements that can be transferred from the page onto screen. I think everybody knows of some fantastic novels that failed miserably at the box office or, or was extremely disappointing because it didn't really, uh, it really didn't, you know, transfer from page onto screen the way you want it to. And that's because that's not the media, that's not the medium that it's made for. So that's, that's one of the basic concepts in the first chapter. One of the things that, uh, you know, beyond that is we start talking about how do you come up with, once you've decided you want to do a film, either you have an idea or you you want to, that's your passion, you want to do film writing, you know, where do you come up with your ideas? And that's kind of the next step. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this using the example you said about turning novels into into films that don't quite work. Why? Well, I understand that that's done because people want to profit off the success of the novel. But um, I just wonder, do you, can you talk to sort of the, how should I phrase this question? How does a script, obviously if it doesn't do well as a film, the screenwriter has failed, but um, how do you, Sorry, maybe I should just scratch this question. I, I don't quite know what I want to get at. I, I think I know what you're trying to say. Let me see if I can uh, parrot it back and, and address it a little bit. One of the things that, that happens is, you you know, 
everybody's favorite book eventually gets made into a movie. And one of the things that happens is the struggle of how do we, how do we honor the, the audience that the book has when we take that idea and put it into film. You know, some great examples of the ones that worked are the Harry Potter films. But then you look at films like um, the last Stephen King, um, what should have been a blockbuster, The Dark Tower, mm-hmm. didn't do well. And what's fascinating about that is he writes, uh, I, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and he writes very visually. Mm-hmm. And many of his films that have done well were taken almost verbatim from the book. When uh, they did The Dark Tower, for some reason, they they decided to completely go in another direction. And instead of the gunslinger being the hero, they made this kid the hero. And it really didn't quite work. I'll, I'll go even further. It didn't work. So... You know, we've we've all been in places where, you know, we wanted to see our favorite book brought to life, um, and it sometimes it doesn't work because one of the things that happens in a book is I have, you know, 300 pages that I can play with to get inside a character's mind to start to really flesh out different uh, aspects of, of the story, to go off on tangents, and a, a reader can accept that. You can't really do that in film. You have to kind of stay on a beam of your story. And, uh, you know, one of the great kind of ironic looks at how this works is a film called Adaptation by Charlie Kaufman. Uh, I'm not, are you familiar with the film at all? Uh, no. Okay, so Charlie Kaufman is, a, is one of our most inventive, most imaginative writers. His first film was a film called um, Being John Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And. I use that as an example all the time because that's a film that when in one of my classes, if a student had come to me and said, hey, I have an idea. I want, I want this guy who works in an in a office uh, who's actually a puppeteer but can't get any money as a puppeteer. I want him to find a tunnel that leads into John Malkovich's brain, and then he can use John Malkovich like a giant puppet. <laughs> I would have you know, recommended strong therapy, um, maybe some drugs. You know, I, I wouldn't have said, oh, that's a great idea. It was a terrific film. It was really one of uh, just a, a kind of remarkable movie. And because of that, I started to I started to rethink how I talk to students about their work. I've come to the conclusion that really my job when I teach writing is not to tell you what to write, but to, how to take what you want to write and make it the best it can be. Mm-hmm. So that's a great example of somebody who you know, is a writer who has incredible imagination. And one of his films, Charlie Kaufman wrote a film called Adaptation, which was based on a book by the same name, which was about, um, I think, actually, I think the film may have been called The Orchid Thief. And it's about a guy who literally goes and, you know, into the jungles to find rare orchids. And it's about his story. And the he was asked to adapt the book. And the film became about a writer trying to adapt this book that really couldn't be adapted to film. <laughs> and he won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay for that year. And he's, you know, I, I would love to have lunch with this guy. I've never met him, but um, on that film, it was him and his twin brother who won the Academy Award. He doesn't have a twin brother. Um, he made it up. <laughs> and in the film, it's him and his twin brother, uh, played by... Uh, Nicholas Cage, mm-hmm. who are this person, a, a writer who is trying to adapt the book. So it basically is 
the story within a story within a story about how he did this. And in the book, in, in the film, he takes classes from a very famous screenwriting guru named Robert McKee. And Robert does seminars all over the world, and he's written books on screenwriting and uh, really an interesting guy. But he has a very specific way that he teaches you should write films. Mm. And he talks about it. And in the movie, of course, instead of it just being about this guy who looks for orchids, which is kind of like, what is that about? Um, suddenly it turns into this just ridiculous chase fantasy film for the last third of the movie. Mm-hmm. And actually, my least favorite part, because it was the part that he went, this is what you're supposed to do in Hollywood. And it was kind of a wink at it. And it was it was it was very ironic that he was doing it and he was doing it with irony. But mm-hmm. um but that's a great example of someone who took an idea that really shouldn't live on film, tried to make it into a film, took the struggle to try and make it into a film and made the movie. Mm-hmm. So well, it becomes pretty complex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I try to do with students and, and people that I consult with on screenwriting is I, you know, if, if they don't have an idea, then we start talking about where does your idea come from? What, what is it you want to write about? And that's probably one of the hardest things. Uh, you know, I, I alluded to earlier that every human being on the planet has a story. may not be a, a very interesting story, but everybody has a story. And the question is, how do you take something uh, that is in your head and put it on a paper that can then be turned into a film? And that's the trick. And one of the things that I look at and that I talk to people about is what is your what is your richest source material. So there's really basically three different places that uh, ideas come from. Okay. They come from observation where, you know, you see something and you think, Oh my gosh, that would be a great movie. Mm-hmm. They come from imagination. You have this fantasy that you want to bring to life or it comes from research. You have a subject that kind of interests you. And so you want to go find out about that. And just to give you some examples of, of all three of those. So, you know, if you're talking about imagination, you can look no further than Avatar. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's a film that wasn't based on life. It's not a, not a movie that's really happened. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have, we don't have the people that are, you know, seven and a half feet tall and blue. Mm-hmm. We don't have a, we don't have a, a planet, you know, in our solar system, outside our solar system where, where people can live and, and mine and do all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. somebody made that up and it is just that it's completely you know, it's fantastical, it's made up, and that is part and parcel of anything that you do with fantasy, with, uh, you know, any kind of creature feature, anything like that. It's, it's from someone's imagination. I'm speaking with screenwriter Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product and Chief Creative Officer of Digital Film Fund. You can find more information at brianherskowitz.com or digitalfilmfund.com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please go to my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. You can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. And now back to the podcast. And then the next is, you know, research. So uh, an example of that would be Schindler's List. Mm -hmm. 
where somebody like Steven Spielberg, who is fascinated with, um, has the Shoah Foundation and is fascinated with the Holocaust and fascinated with the, the Jewish culture, finds the story of a of a man in Nazi Germany who is, helps Jewish people escape during the war. You know, true story, mm-hmm. but he had to research it. It wasn't something he knew internally or innately. And then the third is something that someone has experienced, that they've gone through, that they've had happen to them. And whether they, whether they do it biographically or if they just simply take that and make an adaptation of it into the world, that's, that's the third style of, of coming up with a concept or an idea. So as, as you described the, uh, the different ways, Raiders of the Lost Ark popped into mind, you know, does that fall? Right. Is that research? Is that fantasy? You know, that's a melding of well, primarily it's fantasy. Yeah. Um, you know, that as far as I know, the Ark, if you found the, ra- the, the, the Lost Ark and you opened it, it wouldn't probably, uh, kill everybody <laughs> within a mile radius. I don't know. I haven't tried, right. but you know, those are things that that was fantasy, but. You know, when you have a film like that, and and I talk about this quite a bit with students as well, is that regardless of which which source the material comes from, research is an is an extremely important element, because even when you do a fantasy, even when you do something like you know Twilight or you do Harry Potter or you do Avatar, wherever that idea has come from, you still want it to feel like it has some semblance of reality. So if we don't feel like a story is plausible, even though it's uh, a fantasy, we kind of lose interest. And, you know, there are probably some examples of films that people have have seen that they go, gosh, it just didn't work for me. I don't know why. You know, one big fantasy was a film called The Last Airbender. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a movie that was this big, uh, based on, uh, I believe, on a a graphic novel, an anime series, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Everybody was really excited for it to come out, and it didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, didn't do well at all. Right. Um, you know, so sometimes, and sometimes the problem is people look at it and they just go, I, I don't feel like it's, I, I'm in a real world. And it doesn't have to be a real world to feel like it's a real world. Um, if you're familiar with the film Who Killed Roger Rabbit, do you know that film? Yes. Okay. So anybody's a fun film. I, I would think that anybody who has seen it would go, yeah, that was a lot of fun. You know, again, don't know of too many cartoon characters that live in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, don't know where the cartoon slum is in my neighborhood, you know, but they build this world where you, you, you go, yeah, that could happen. Oh, sure. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's not uh, bad. She's just wrong that way. Okay. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. because they set up a certain rule and they make it feel like that, that world is complete and believable. So that's part of what you do. And that's where partly you do research. There's, there's two different ways of doing research. And, and again, this goes back to the idea of where, where do the ideas come from? The ways that I recommend people do research are external and internal. One, the, the internal research is what do I know and how do I know it? So there are certain things that are about feelings that are about the way people think that are just already inherently and innately in our being mm-hmm. and everything else you got to either observe or you have to research and the research can be anything from, well, what is the science for this? You know, is there anything like this in nature? How would it work if we were to do 
uh, light speed time travel? Um, you know, what, what would the aspects of that be? All of those things start to go into the mix. And you have to look up, you know, use books, use references, uh, go to the library. There's a, a famous quote for writers that says, you know, stealing from one source is plagiarism. Stealing from many is research. <laughs> and that's true. You know, you, you go and you start to look up, well, how, how does that happen? Um, years ago, I wrote a spec script for the show Frasier. And I wanted to have, uh, it was a, uh, an episode that I wrote where there was a home invasion robbery at Frasier's house, his, his uh, apartment. And so he decides to go get a gun. And I know very little about guns, so I started looking up, you know, doing research and what kind of gun. Uh, I I started talking to different, uh, you know, people that that gun dealers and owners, and I called one gun dealer and I said, um, "Look, I'm I'm looking for a gun that would be kind of girly because I wanted Fraser to have bought, you know, the silliest, most feminine gun he could find." Mm-hmm. And there was a long pause, and the guy on the other end said. Well, they'll all kill you. And I went, oh, okay. Well, that's true. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And then I ended up getting him a, a just because of the name, a, a Lady Remington. Hmm. That was, that was the gun he used. So, you know, you, you start to look at, you know, what do I need to know about? Hmm. And I, I, I'm right now I'm working with a writer producer on a project and sometimes I'm, I'm brought in by somebody who's already, you know, written the script and they, they want, just a, another eye on it. And uh, I won't get into too many specifics, but there are elements that he's made up in a story where you don't want to make up elements. You huh. want it to feel real. And that gets into a problem for people because it takes you out of the story because you start thinking about, oh, wait a minute, he did that? How did he do that? That's not how that would go. So you start to think about, well, if I'm, if I'm a butcher from Kansas City and I'm sitting in the audience... And I'm watching a courtroom drama and they're not acting the way lawyers act. And, you know, maybe my point of reference is just movies and TV or maybe I've been in court. But you recognize what feels authentic and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the feeling of authenticity is crucial. Being authentic is less crucial. Uh, And and this is perhaps a question for later down the road, but... um... It seems as though once the film starts, you know, opening credits, opening scene, you know, you don't have much time to start playing around. You know, you you just kind of lay out the world there and you're immediately, you know, every scene, every, every, all the dialogue as it's going, each one is sort of a test of what you just described. Yeah, absolutely. When, you know, uh, and, and sadly, I think our attention spans are getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And you have to capture an audience pretty quickly, but but even more than that, you have to kind of give the audience uh, a contract that says this is the ride I'm taking you on. And you know, one of the examples I use a lot is uh, James Bond. You know, the traditional James Bond movies always started with him in bed with some beautiful woman, and then she tries to kill him, and a bunch of thugs come in with machine guns, and he jumps out a window and skis down a slope and jumps from the slope onto a helicopter and flies off, you know, mm. with the Union Jack waving behind him. Yeah. And, you know, it's always this incredible action sequence that gets us into the story. We know that the rest of the film isn't going to be two people having dinner uh, on, for example, the film My Dinner with Andre, which was two people having dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. not that. 
We know it's not that. And if we don't deliver on that in the rest of the film, the audience is going to be angry. Mm-hmm. And the same reason that the audiences get unhappy with endings, you know, they're given a, an expectation and a promise of how, how a movie is going to play out. And they're waiting for that to be paid off for them. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it has to be a happy ending, but it has to be somehow uh, brought to fruition. Strangely enough, that's only true in American films. You know, if you go to Europe and you go to Asia, they have a very different concept for what, how films end and how they, they move through space and time. Hmm. Would some of these rules, or not rules, uh, would some of this advice or education apply to writing for a video game? I don't know if you've looked into this because uh, often they have a lot of video games now that are basically like films that you play through. Right. At hundred percent, you know, if, if you were doing like, a, um, I worked on a, a game called Medal of Honor Airborne, mm-hmm. and if you were playing that game, and as you're, you know, fighting the Germans in in France, Roger Rabbit showed up and you know asked you to come with him to lunch, <laughs> you you wouldn't you wouldn't feel like you were in the game, you know, it would suddenly be something totally different. And if you hadn't been given that promise that, hey, we're going to throw a lot of fantasy stuff at you right at the beginning, you, you know, people would get turned off by that, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just can't, you can't really completely switch off where you're headed in the middle, midstream. You have to kind of, you know, set it up, say, this is the universe, this is the world. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that that is a little bit further down the line, because that gets into structure. Uh, How do you build your world? But in the research of doing your story, you establish what universe you want to be in. And, you know, we talked a little bit, I touched on the idea of, of courtroom drama. And, you know, everybody who's ever watched television has some idea of how things go in court. It's not real. Um, you know, if you've been in court, you know that it's kind of like watching paint dry. Mm-hmm. It's not something that is terribly exciting. There aren't a whole lot of uh, Perry Mason not the new Perry Mason, but the old Perry Mason moments of, you know, people breaking down on the stand and, you know, pointing, saying he did it. You know, it's none of that, mm-hmm. uh, usually. And, you know, it's mostly sitting around waiting. So if you wrote what was really happening in a courtroom, people would be bored out of their minds. So you start to look at how do you take the best moments, the best parts, and pare them down? How do you find that heightened element? in real life or in, in real fantasy that people can relate to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the, the tasks. So when you're doing the research, you start to build your world. You start to look at, you know, what are the rules of the world I'm going to be going into? Who are the people that are populating it? And, you know, what what is it that I need to learn about? What do I need to know in order to make the character and the world that they're in feel authentic to an audience? Mm-hmm. Now, how would you, um, just thinking about what you've talked about, how would you differentiate between doing a short film and a feature length film? Well, there's a, there's a lot of difference. One is, you know, your short film is considered anything under 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. The majority of short films out there now are probably under 15. Um, and some are, you know, literally a minute long. Mm-hmm. So part of it is, you know, you're, you're kind of doing a microcosm of a bigger story. The rules still apply. 
the same concepts still apply. You you can't you know start you know a comedy short and suddenly have people being mowed down you know in a in a serious manner uh, that isn't some way you know connected to the comedy. Mm-hmm. It's all storytelling, and so you have to you know short films are a little bit different just because they are a part of a whole or they're a part of something bigger. And I, so a great example of that is the short film Whiplash, which was uh, starring Miles Teller. And Whiplash was at first created as a short film. And the scene that was taken from the short film was where this uh, Miles Teller plays a jazz drummer. And by the way, Damien Chazelle, I hope I say his name right, uh, directed and wrote it. He also did uh, La La Land. Mm, uh, right. terrific writer-director and obviously has a real connection to music and in the in the film the short it was this incredibly dramatic scene where Miles Teller is trying to uh, you know beat out a song and uh, the actor uh, and it was J.K. Simmons is just berating him and start slapping him around. That was the movie that he did as a short. It won awards at Sundance. And because of that, it was really a calling card for the bigger story. Mm. And they took that and they made a feature film out of it. So, you know, there are two kind of purposes for doing a short film right now. One is, or three, one is just you want to entertain people with a short film. You want to make a great story that's short. The second is you want to do something that's calling card for your creativity as a writer or director or an actor. And the third is you're doing it as a, a calling card or a teaser for a movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really the, the kind of short presentation or proof of concept short of a movie. And that's being a little bit more and more popular. Mm-hmm. And now how about the approach to, um, writing for, uh, either a mini series or a, a, a show, it's it's really the same process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, film and, and television have now, be, the, the line between them because of streaming has started to blur. Mm-hmm. And because of streaming and because you can binge watch a series, you know, when I first started work writing in television, you know, you write, wrote an episode, every week you kind of had to remind people what was going on the week before mm-hmm. and where the characters stood and what was happening to them. And you do that either in a, teaser and you know previously on all that mm-hmm. um, now you can sit down and you can watch an entire season of Ozark for example and a lot of writers that I've talked to over the you know past four or five years they've that that are in television now they look at their their season as a very long movie mm-hmm. so they start looking at you know the first third of the season we're setting up you know all the stuff that's going to happen. And in the middle of the season, things start to escalate and get worse. And then the end of the season, um, we start wrapping it up so that things come to a, a big head, mm-hmm. uh, you know, huge battle. And then we have a resolution of some sort. And that's absolutely the structure of a film. So you look at your series and if you look at, you know, film, a, a series like breaking bad, great example and a great series. And, you know, it all, led and built to this one climactic end of the mo- of the show. Mm-hmm. And you can look at it as it's, you know, was one cinematic event after another. So would you say, does a series have to be visual the whole way through, or does it allow for some 
sort of what you were saying about a novel being, you know, more about dialogue, does that allow more of a, a hybrid? Right. No, not really. Television really mirrors the film uh, world. The difference is, and, and this is a little bit different in the dialogue realm, um, in film, generally, I have an hour and a half to two hours, 220, two and a half hours to tell my story, period. And I've got to take you from beginning, middle, and end in that time. So I don't have a lot of time to get too deep into character development, who these people are, how they think and feel. I do have more time in a series. So I can do a little bit more of a slow burn, and I can let you get a little more information about that character. It still has to be visual, and it still has to be driven. It can't simply be exposition, where we have characters stand and, you know, pontificate on how they feel or what they think. You have to illustrate it. You have to have, uh, you know, one of the things that I believe is a truism that you hear in film and television is that a uh, true character comes out under pressure. And, you know, the more pressure a character feels, the more likely they are to spill the beans. And prior to that, you know, you don't want people who walk up and spill their guts. You want people to draw information out of your characters, whether it's because they've got a gun to their head or they've got to save somebody and this is the only way, or they're, uh, you know, if it's a more interpersonal series like This Is Us, there's got to be some emotional uh, motivation and impetus for why they speak and why they do what they do and how they do what they do. And that's a great example of, you know, a drama to um, or drama, this is us, where it's really just a slice of life. And we're, what happens in television is television is much more character driven, but it's still the same concept. I'm speaking with screenwriter Brian Herskowitz, author of Process to Product and chief creative officer of Digital Film Fund. You can find more information at brianherskowitz.com or digitalfilmfund.com. If you like this podcast so far, please subscribe to it and rate it if you can. Please go to my website, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com for links to news, videos, new books, and my social media links. You can find the links to my other podcasts and associated book lists at historyrabbithole.com. That's rabbit as in the animal, historyrabbithole.com. And now back to the podcast. Now, what about shorts and maybe this the short film thoughts apply to this but you know on on youtube or vimeo or you know when people create films for that it sounds like the same ideas apply to that again a little bit it's you know the the shorts have they have their own kind of you know world that they exist in Mm -hmm. and you still with a short still has to have the same kind of structural elements i'm gonna there's there's no way around a beginning, middle, and end. There just isn't. It, it may not be a very good beginning, may not be a very good end, and maybe a terrible middle, but you have to have all three, even if it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you a joke without doing, you know, um, you know, opening, setup, and punchline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I do, you know, you know, why does the chicken cross the road? And you say, why? And I don't respond. You know, you don't get the joke. So you have to, you have to look at it as, well, what is the story and how does it unfold? When you look at short films, you know, you look at short films and sometimes they are contained and you go, okay, I get it. I get the story. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is all one piece. 
and sometimes you don't. I, I actually just finished writing, directing a short that's out, out of festivals now. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it as a proof of concept for a short content series. And one of the things that uh, Quibi, Qu- yeah, Quibi has introduced is the short content series where you can take little bites, you know, five, ten minute episodes, and you take ten of those and put them together. And it's, and what you want to do with that is, Kind of like I was talking about with streaming is you want those 10 minute episodes. You want to do 12 of them. You have 120 minutes. You have a two hour movie. Mm-hmm. So within that two hours, you want to take the, the audience on a journey and explain what's going on. For me, this first beat was just that first episode. It was introduction of the world, introduction of the character, introduction of the potential of the problem going forward. Um, but it stands on its own. You know, you watch it and you see it and you get that. Oh, there's more to, I want to see more. And that's probably the biggest difference when you're doing something that's contained. I just want to do this story and, you know, something that you are hoping is going to go elsewhere, either become a feature or become a series. You're looking at wanting people to look at it and go, okay, what's, what's going to happen next? Where, where are these people going? How do I follow their lives? Mm -hmm. Now, what about someone who wants to write a film because they love they love visuals, so they want to write a script that's just overlaid with description. But then you have the situation where when the director and the producers get the script, you know, it's their vision that, that dominates. Yeah. Not this, this is where people get a little bit into trouble and not understanding the medium they should be in. Mm-hmm. When you start talking about, I want to really do something that's, you know, deep and, and you know, descriptive, that's a novel. That's not really a film. I often have people give me scripts, and I have to say to them, but how, how is the audience going to get this information? How are they going to see what you're saying? You know, they talk about, what, you know, the kind of the, the grotesque example is, you know, somebody puts in, in a script, you know, the sun comes up over the horizon like a lion ready to leap on a prey, and his thoughts of his mother growing up uh, come to him as he sits in the, in the window box. Well, what of that can I show? Mm-hmm. You know, what can I actually shoot? The only thing I can shoot of that is a dude sitting in a window box looking out. Yeah. I can't, I can't shoot him thinking about his dead mother. I can't shoot the sun leaping over the horizon like a lion. I can't do any of that. I have to look at it as what am I telling people? What do I want them to feel? And once in a while you get away with a little bit of description that goes beyond that. And, and sometimes that's a style choice, but ultimately, if I can't take what you've written and interpret it and put it on the screen, it's a waste of space, and you're probably in the wrong medium. So you don't want to get flowery in your descriptions unless you're talking about something that is tangible and visual, and it needs to be in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing is people sometimes get bogged down in the detail. You know. They may talk about he's wearing a blue button-down shirt. We don't need to know exactly what weave or what size the neck is or how long the sleeves are or whether it was made in China or, you know, (laughs) we don't need to know all of that uh, unless somehow that all is going to impact the story. But you do want to tell us something specific. So, for an example, and and again, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but if I tell you that, um, a guy drives up in a, a, a 1965 uh, Volkswagen Beetle 
and that it's backfiring every two seconds. Uh, and the guy who gets out of the car uh, is wearing a, a crumpled suit. That tells you one thing. If I take the same situation and I say a guy drives up in a brand new 2020 Rolls-Royce Corniche and gets out of the driver's uh, side and is wearing a pristine tux, you get a different vision of who these people are. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a lot of information. But I don't need to go into be you know beyond that too much. Mm-hmm. So if someone, uh, so what do you think the best practice or preparation is? It to watch a lot of stuff or to read a lot of screenplays or how would someone approach that? Well, I think I think reading screenplays is a, is a great place to start because you start to look at what is the form and function of a screenplay. Um, there are some terrific books. There are actually books on how to format a screenplay out there, several of them that are very good. And you do want to learn that because the format speaks to professionalism and people that don't know the format that write. And I, you know, I've had scripts handed to me that were not in proper script format and I've handed them back and said, I can't read it because as a producer, I can't really figure how I, I will project this onto the screen if I can't read it in a way that I can time the movie out. And that's why it's done in proper format, because in that way, you know exactly how long it takes to do a page. So one of the things that is preparation for for writing anything is that research. So you want to read um, scripts. You want to watch films that are in the same genre or have the same emotional impact. And you also want to do your preparation that you would do for your story. So in the first chapter of my book, Beyond... How do you get your idea and where does it come from? Start to talk about three things that are absolutely crucial to filmmaking. One is the theme. Another is the concept. And the third is your premise. What is the one kind of major event that's going to happen in the story that's going to make the audience want to see it? And there's a whole, you know, I I go into a whole kind of, uh, I hate to use the word, but formula for, for how I like to put together my premise. And again, that comes out of, uh, there, there's no, you know, one path that everybody has to take. So if somebody says, well, I just watched movies and I got it that way, or I just read scripts and I got it that way, or I read books on screenwriting and I got it that way. It doesn't matter to me. For me, you know, whatever works for that person is, is what I want them to do. Mm-hmm. And the research that they do, that if it works for a story that you read and you go, wow, that's amazing. That's all you have to do. But you do want to think about, theme and concept. And and going back to Avatar as an example, to me, that's a film that has a really clear theme and a really clear concept. The theme is, in essence, American imperialism. Mm-hmm. And it's really a parallel for what happened uh, in America to the Native Americans, where Europeans came in and pushed them out. And it really mirrors that in Avatar. And you start thinking about, so that's the concept. You know, that's that's the the argument and the idea behind the story, mm-hmm. right? I'm sorry. That's the theme. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I've okay. missed them. That's the thing. Uh, the concept is how am I going to tell this in a way that's going to make it interesting to an audience? So instead of it, instead of James Cameron, just doing a kind of a historical story about the Europeans coming and killing all of the natives in Cuba or, or in, you know, South America or coming to, you know, the Southwest and doing it, um, he says, I'm going to put it on another planet. I'm going to make the native uh, people there 
seven feet tall and blue, and I'm going to create this idea of someone who becomes, you know, falls in love with the natives. And that's going to be the person whose story we're going to follow. So that's, that's the concept. That's what makes the story um, what we, you know, what we're going to enjoy watching. The theme is the argument that the story makes. And, and every film should have some sort of argument that it's making, whether um, years ago there was a, a movie called Dead Man Walking. Do you, do you remember that with John uh, mm -hmm. Penn? Yeah. So, you know, very clearly in the title, it's about a, a guy on death row. And the film takes a, an extremely even-handed approach to the argument of, is capital punishment right? Should we, should we as a society put people to death for doing the bad things? And the way that they, the concept is, what if we look at this argument through the eyes of a nun who administers to people on death row but is absolutely dead set against the death penalty? So, again, you have, you know, the concept of, what if it's a, you know, what if we, what if we view this argument through the eyes of a nun? And then the theme is, is the death penalty right? So those two things work in tandem. And the reason that's important is because it gives your story drive. You feel like you're trying to accomplish some side of that argument. You're going to land on uh, one or the other. And in the case of Dead Man Walking, they didn't. Um, they didn't ultimately give you the answer to the question, mm -hmm. but they, they made it thought provoking. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of your choices. You know, you, you land on, you know, does love really conquer all? And, you know, you come up with the, the guy and the girl getting together at the end of the movie. And the answer is yes. I've argued that love does conquer all. And now here's my proof. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how you want to look at theme. And then the concept, like I said, is how do I, how do I, take that concept how do i how do i how do i dress this story in a way that an audience is going to enjoy it and and get it mm -hmm. now was there i did you say there was a third element to doing that or did i mishear um yeah the third the third element is premise hmm. and the premise is what is the absolute core event of the movie and um this is the way i this is my own definition of premise it's not not necessarily the way that everybody else looks at premise. Mm -hmm. But for an example, it's the thing that when you're, you're watching a movie or you're watching a television series and somebody says, Oh, Hey, yeah, what was that about? And you're, you know, you got 10 seconds to tell them what it was about. What do you come up with? So mm -hmm. for example, if I said to you, Oh, it was a movie about this sheriff who's afraid of swimming, who finds out that there's a 25 foot long great white shark eating people off the coast of his, of his town you kind of know what that movie is, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and if I say to you, well, you know, it's about this kid, um, his family, come, his mother comes from a, uh, a, a recent divorce and he finds an alien in his garage and decides to keep him in his closet. Mm -hmm. You know, these are, these are ideas and concepts that are what they call high concept. Mm -hmm. The premise is what is, what is the, the person walk away from? The first film I mentioned, of course, both, both are Steven Spielberg movies because he's, kind of the king of the high concept film. Mm -hmm. But the first one is, of course, e uh, Jaws, and the second one is E.T. Mm -hmm. And when you look at those films, are there other things that happen in the movie? A hundred percent there's other stuff that happens. You know, there's a lot of other stuff. But what do we remember? What are we thinking about? What is the core of the story? So what I say you do is you look at what is the major event that's going to take place in the movie, 
And then who is it that's going to be the person that we're pulling for or whose eyes we're seeing the story unfold through? Mm -hmm. And what is their opposition? Who is it that they're in conflict with? And then who is it that they're hanging out with? And I take those elements and I add two other very important parts to it. One is genre, which is, you know, what kind of movie is it? And again, you know, you go back to the idea of I'm, I'm sitting at home and I'm trying to decide what to watch on, on Netflix. I'm trying to figure out what film. The first thing I think about is what kind of story is it? Which is genre? Is it a, is it a sci-fi story? Is it a horror film? Is it a love story? Is it a comedy? You know, then I start to break down. It's a comedy about what? So the first thing that you look at when you're starting to think about what, how do I pitch the story? How do I tell someone about it? Is what, what kind of story is it? Um, I can't tell you how many people have pitched ideas to me. And then at the end of it, they say, so it's a comedy. And I go, what? <laughs> Where was the funny part? You know, what, where's the comedy in it? So one of the things that you try to do in your premise is you try and, and use and pick words that define the genre. You know, so if it's a horror film, it's fear, it's uh, a monster, it is, uh, you know, somebody in a dire situation. And I, I look for words that will support that concept. If it's a comedy, I'm looking for words that evoke something humorous. So, you know, my my main character, who's a goofball, you know, 23 year old kid who's still in high school and rides a, a, a tricycle every day. You know, we start to look at that's not going to be a particularly serious film. Right. Right. Yeah. Huh. Actually, I have I actually have an a concept for that I use for how do you break down your premise? Mm -hmm. And one of the things you do is you look for a when then question, which is when this happens to my main character, that causes something else to happen, and that that when then really should be about whatever that core event is. You know, so when Sheriff Brody finds a dead body that has been half chewed up on the beach, he then has to deal with the uh, pressures from the town to close the beach and go and kill the shark. So it seems to be, it has to be a concrete, like the when then seems to have to have a concrete connection in that the one has to cause the other to happen without much. Um, yeah. I mean, again, you know, going back to Avatar, I can't remember the the character's name, but you know, when a corporal who is uh, who is paralyzed from the waist down has an opportunity to take his twin brother's place in a uh, distant universe and get uh, his movement back via an avatar, he then becomes a, a, a part of the native community community and falls in love with a a Navi girl, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, you'd start to take that and nuance it and start to add the name of the Navi girl and you'd start to, you know, add little elements that tell you about the story. But immediately, you know, it's a science fiction story, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't have avatars yet. We don't have, you know, bases on foreign planets mm -hmm. uh, yet. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it, they, the genre is included and kind of encapsulated in, the, in that particular premise. Mm-hmm. So of course, I'm making this up off the top of my head, so they're not polished. But you want to sit there and you polish it. And then it, after a while, you get to the place where you just let it flow. Mm -hmm. So for the sake of time, I guess we'll stop uh, now. Uh, where can people find you again, just uh, as they a reminder? They can find me at my website at brianherskowitz.com. 
Mm-hmm. Or they can email me at herskowitz.brian at gmail.com. Okay. All right. So um, until next time, uh, that concludes this this uh, particular episode. Thanks very much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, Full Contact Nerd, please subscribe. Please also rate Full Contact Nerd and review it if you can. I have many more options to nerd out on sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. You can check out my website, chrisalvarez.com. That's Chris without an H. I have 20 mini-blogs on the site covering sci-fi, fantasy, horror, gaming, writing, mysteries, folklore, mythology, and many more topics. You can find my video playlists and my original videos on YouTube under Chris Alvarez. I cover sci-fi short films and games, fantasy fiction, horror short films and games, video and board game design, and more. You can get interesting news on fiction and fiction studies on my Twitter page, Chris Alvarez FCN. You can find cosplay and convention photos on my Instagram page, Chris Alvarez Sci-Fi. You can sign up for my newsletter on new books on my websites, chrisalvarez.com or fullcontactnerd.com. Thank you for listening and keep imagining the past, the present, and the future.